Robin and I had the privilege the last few days to be at the Pepperdine Bible Lectures in Southern California. We went down with uh, Ron and Christine Bailey and their family, along with Dustin, went down and enjoyed a great time at Pepperdine. It was, it was great. You know, every year when I go down to Pepperdine, one of the things that happens to me is that I always end up feeling, I, I come back always feeling a bit guilty. And it's because I hear all this encouraging stuff and it's just so good. And I think, boy, you know, I, I wish... I wish that I could, I wish I could be that kind of preacher. I wish our church was just doing all these things that other churches are doing. Sometimes they feel a bit guilty about it. And this year, I came back, instead of having this sense of guilt, I really had a, a sense of excitement, of encouragement, because I, the things that they were talking about are some of the very things that we're doing. And so a lot of churches are talking about um, ministry to immigrant families, for example. A lot of families are, or churches are talking about ministry to families in their community or to homeless people, that kind of thing. Uh, a lot of churches are talking about outreach. I listened to Rick Ashley talk for three days about uh, being evangelistic within your church. And we're, of course, talking about outreach right now in our congregation. So I was excited about that. Came back, uh, came back really pumped. Um, one of the things that was interesting is that on Thursday afternoon, I think it was, the people that I was with, Robin, the Baileys, they did something sinful. Like they, they wanted to go, instead of going to classes, they wanted to go to the beach. And so I, I really worked on, like you can imagine, I said, no, no, no. No, don't go to the beach. But they insisted on going to the beach. And so I was dragged along. I, like... Kicking and screaming. I tried not to go, but they insisted that I go to the beach with them. So I did go to the beach with them on Thursday afternoon. But, but the Lord got them because everybody just about on the whole, um, among our whole party, we were walking along the beach. And I didn't know this, but there are, there's a place very close to the Malibu campus, Zuma Beach, where there are little balls of tar that come off the bottom of the ocean and float in with the waves and get in mixed in with the sand and we didn't know that so we went walking on the beach right where all of this tar was and the lord protected me and so i didn't get any tar because i was the one who didn't want to go to the beach but the rest of them got tar on their feet okay so my wife's feet are now clean but the reason that her feet are clean is because ron bailey washed her feet i looked over at one point and ron was down on his hands and knees washing my wife's feet washing all the tar off and I was on the other car, so I couldn't get over there. I couldn't reach it. But he, so, he, so he did that. He washed her feet. And it was just a beautiful thing. So God took a situation where these people were backsliding. And I, I, couldn't, and I couldn't stop them. And, and the Lord worked it out so that he, he fixed the whole situation. And it, it was just beautiful the way God does things. Aren't you happy about that? I felt really good about it. <laughs> we did have a great time. It was absolutely wonderful. Um, but, you know, there are wonderful things happening here as well. You know, I mentioned how hard it is a few weeks ago for a church to be evangelistic, like a church that's been around for a long time, how hard it is for a church to be evangelistic. Well, one of the things that I discovered at Pepperdine in, in just listening is that there are some churches, some churches that have been around a long time in our, in our brotherhood who are becoming evangelistic. In fact, Richland Hills which is now called The Hills, one of the largest churches of Christ in the world, has really started to become evangelistic in the last two year, uh, few years when previously they hadn't. And they're, they're baptizing hundreds of people a year. I, I had occasion to just spend a few moments with Rick Ashley, and Rick said, you know, Kelly, 
we, it's so cool to go to church every Sunday knowing that there are going to be several baptisms when we get there. That's just so neat. And I thought, if they can do that in Fort Worth, Texas, where everybody's already saved, then we can do that, right? In a culture where not everybody is saved. And so God can bless us, and we're going to be able to do some wonderful things for him, and so I'm, I'm excited about that. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, this morning to John chapter 9. It's on page 758, by the way, in the Pew Bibles, if you're turning there in a Pew Bible. And I'm, follow along with me. I'm going to read the whole thing. And it doesn't take near as long as you think it does. But there's, a, there's just so much good stuff in here. John chapter 9, verse 1, the story of a man who was born blind. As he went along, talking about Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. And he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he's a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Well, we know it's our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. 
He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born, born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who will see who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind too?" Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you see, your guilt remains. It's a great story. There are, sorry, I got to get my clicker here. There are lots of things. Thanks, honey. This story tells us about Jesus and what it is that Jesus wants to do in our world. And it fits so well into what we want to say and do when it comes to the subject of outreach. Now, before I get into all of that in a very specific way, let me, let me just point out a few other things that I think are really cool uh, in this story, some, some truths that I think are helpful for us to see. Like, for example, tragedy is not necessarily the result of sinfulness. Sometimes it is. We know that. Somebody goes and gets drunk. They could well hit another car and kill somebody. Tragedy in that case is a direct cause of sin. But it's not always that way for sure. There are so many times in our lives when we tend to judge others because of some tragedy that's come into their lives and we tend to blame them. It's easy for us to grab, well, not grab. It's easy for us to think about one of these homeless fellows that we see on a Wednesday and think to ourselves, He's absolutely the architect of his own demise. And sometimes that's no doubt true. But I have met people who were homeless, who were homeless because of an economy that went bad or a circumstance that was not their fault. I've seen and met people whose spouse, from what I could tell, was totally responsible for the breakdown of the marriage and there was an innocent party. What do we say to them? They're not always tragedies that are caused by our own efforts. And so we need to realize that. That's certainly the case here. It's not necessarily the result of our own sinfulness. The tragedy comes. Tragedy is an opportunity for God's goodness to be displayed. That certainly comes out in the story. And I'm not saying that God made the man blind so that he could then heal him later on. That's not the point. It's that tragedy sometimes flows into our lives. And then when it does... When tragedy does happen, God has the ability to do something wonderful and turn that tragedy around. And so often, additional lives, in fact, are changed and improved. People have a different perspective because they see somebody else who's had a tragedy and they get through it with God's help. It just changes us when we see somebody else succeed. I look over here at Dana and I think, Dana's had 10,000 kidney stones. And when she has one, and I know she's in pain, I think to myself, God, you can get people through things. You can get me through my own hurts and pains. They're not near what it means to have a life of kidney stones. If she can get through that through your help, I can get through the things that I deal with. 
Thirdly, our religious presuppositions and misperceptions can be terribly destructive. They can amount to a blindness more difficult for God to remove than actual blindness. And that's sometimes the way we are. We hold on to presuppositions or certain positions that really God needs to change within us. But we have stubborn hearts. We don't like to just change. And so sometimes there's a blindness within us that God really does want to free us from. Fear of our culture, even our religious culture, can hinder us from admitting things about God that are plainly obvious if we only will fearlessly open our eyes. You know, this is the problem with the parents. They won't open their eyes with any kind of fearlessness. They could have been blessed themselves in a rich way, but they just simply refuse to do so. They're scared to death of what might happen to them because uh, of believing in Jesus. We sometimes want to hold more firmly to the pride we have in our religious heritage than we do to the obvious truths of God. And personally, I think that happened in churches of Christ for a long time. I'm so privileged to be a part of uh, the churches of Christ at a time when things have changed. It was so evident again at Pepperdine that things are just changing. There's modification going on constantly. We're becoming more and more what God wants us to be. In fact, I would say that there is restoration still going on as we are restored by God to become the kind of churches that God really wants us to be. And then there is no blindness quite like the, like the blindness of self-righteousness. Boy, when we think we're really good that we've got it all together, that is maybe the most difficult thing for God to try and work through when we feel that way about ourselves. Well, all these things are important truths, uh, and I encourage you to study the story again and to see the kind of things that Jesus does there and how this all works out. But I want us to apply specifically this passage today to what we've been doing with Outreach. And here's kind of the key verse that we've been focusing on. Matthew 4.23. Jesus went throughout Galilee. This This is the ministry of Jesus Christ. He went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, preaching the good news of the kingdom, which we talked about last week, and and the way in which that can come out in our own ministries. And then for today, healing every disease and sickness among the people. And the fact is, is that healing the diseases and the sickness of people is the work of Jesus. It's interesting, when I, when I originally typed this out in my notes, the line that I actually typed was, as I was reflecting on John, John 9, I said, healing was the work of Jesus. And I had to catch myself. Because healing was not the work of Jesus. Healing is the work of Jesus. Jesus wants lives to be healed today. And when we participate in the healing mission of Jesus and the different ways in which it manifests itself in our churches and in our own lives, then we have the opportunity to see lives changed. This wasn't something that was happening only. This is something that needs to happen now. Now somebody's going to think when I say that, that we need to have healing taking place, that I'm about to start a TV ministry. I'm going on TV, I'm going to start healing people. You know, in fact, I, I, I bent over to Robin. When you, what, what was that? Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know what? I don't have the hair for it. Like, you've got, you've got to have a certain hairstyle to go on TV and have a healing ministry. Have you noticed that? 
They all have the same hair. But I also was going to say, I'd be, I'd be trying to collect money from everybody. I'm wanting to know what you're going to do with your busker money. <laughs> Are you going to have the guitar case open? Oh, that'll be good. So, no, I'm not going to start a healing ministry. Um, I, I do believe in healing. You know, I, I said to the first service, now I can say it to you folks, like, if I don't believe in healing, then why in the world are we praying for our sister Trina Coughlin? If we don't believe that God's going to do something in her life. I've been praying for her. It appears as though God is healing her. She's had some good news. Well, why would I pray about that if I didn't think that God was quite capable and willing of doing something? And it doesn't mean, of course, that he's always going to do something. We have prayed many times. I'll bet Dana's prayed a few thousand times about having her kidney stone stop. And many of us have prayed for that. God, through his will, doesn't choose always to heal the way we would like him to heal. But does he do some healing? Of course. He's often healed people. What's interesting about Jesus is that Jesus doesn't draw attention to himself over the issue. Jesus doesn't go on TV. I've had people who've come to this church advertising for themselves their healing ministry and wanted me to get involved. And I said to them, look, Instead of us going on TV or something with your healing ministry, me supporting you in that, let's just go down to Children's Hospital. Let's just start doing it. How about you and I get in the car? I said this to a guy once. I said, let's get in the car right now, and I'll drive you to Children's, and and I'll participate in this. You can heal, folks. Let's do it. Well, he just got mad at me, honestly. He just got angry. He was upset, and he left. Well, there's a problem with that. God doesn't want us to be drawing attention to ourselves, I don't think, when it comes to some kind of healing ministry. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't heal. Jesus doesn't go around saying, look at me, I'm the great healer, and heal for the purpose of his own notoriety. In fact, it's interesting the way that Jesus allows other people to see the healing and then go tell others. And then sometimes Jesus even stops them from doing that. And so Jesus will, especially in the Gospel of Mark, say, look... Don't go tell anybody about this. Well, he's probably afraid they're going to come too quickly and try and make him king, the way that John 6 talks about. It's just interesting the way that Jesus has a different kind of perspective on this, but it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't want to heal, and in this case, of course, he does. Well, this story is specifically about this man born blind, and I think it points in a different direction, certainly, than just physical healing, that's not really the point. In fact, I would say that the point, the key here is in verses 35 through verses 39. Look at verse 35 with me. We'll read this again. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, which means that he, they'd thrown him out of the synagogue. And that was the fear. That was the parents' concern. They're going to throw him out of the synagogue or throw them out of the synagogue. This was like, you know, sometimes we hear about what happens with Jehovah's Witnesses who leave their faith. They're ostracized. That's why it's so inviting for them to stay a part of that group. They don't want to be ostracized. That is their life. And in this case with the Jews, it was the same way. For them to be thrown out of the synagogue was a dramatic experience for them, a huge, huge social, emotional kind of problem for them to be cast out of the synagogue. And they don't want this to happen. And yet this is exactly what's happened to the man who's been born blind because he's claiming things about Jesus. So Jesus, hearing that they'd thrown him out, when he found him, he said, 
Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. And I, 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 can, I can see this man saying this with some dejection. Because he's just been cast out of the synagogue. It's in his way of thinking he's lost everything. The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, if you, you have now seen him, in fact, he is the one speaking with you. And you can just feel, literally, the lights go on. This is the guy. This is the guy who healed me. This is the one with whom I can now have relationship. This is the guy who has changed everything for me. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I've come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this. They asked, what are we blind to? If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you see, your guilt remains. You know, often the point made here is that this one who had formerly been called a sinner has been cast out of the synagogue. He's been disfellowshipped. And you kind of get to the point about this at the end of this, of this story and you say, boy, what a tragedy, but Jesus redeems him. But it's way more than just that. When was the man born blind relieved of his status within the community? When was he no longer accepted fully like everyone else with a place in the community? When did that happen for this guy who had been born blind? From birth. The whole story is about a guy that they keep saying either his parents or he has sinned. Sin has enveloped them. Sin is the dominant theme in their lives. And that's why this man is born blind. And he was ostracized from the beginning. He was a social outcast from the start. He had no place in the society of which he was supposed to be part from the very beginning. And Jesus comes along and Jesus loves him. And Jesus accepts him. And Jesus heals him. And everything about this guy's life has now changed. Now certainly there's a, a powerful healing here. There's something that happens in terms of physical healing that is absolutely wonderful. And it's horrible in light of that that the man has been put out of the synagogue. It's wonderful that Jesus has taken him back and gives him a new source of life and new relationship. But what's more wonderful is that there is a guy who had absolutely no status. He was outcast, marginalized, on the fringe, accepted by no one because he was a sinful blind man. And his parents probably were too. And now Jesus embraces him, heals him physically. And for the first time in his life, this man has an opportunity to be part of a real community, to be a real part of a real community. And you know, some of you, some of you know what that feels like. Some of you know what it feels like to not be accepted, not be a part of the community, to be on the fringe, to be marginalized, 
and then to be invited in. And that's what it's supposed to feel like to be part of the body of Christ. That's what it's supposed to feel like to receive the blessing of Jesus the Messiah. Here's the thing. When Jesus died on the cross and he destroys sin, he doesn't just forgive the sins of this individual. He does do that. He forgives the sins of a blind man. He's forgiven of his sin. But what really happens is that sin, in the whole context of the blind man's existence, everything about his culture, everything about his world, all the sinfulness of that is affected by the cross of Jesus Christ. Sin is dealt with. The punishment of sin, death, is taken care of. God does something here which is far broader, far larger, far more... totally radically changing everything than simply forgiving someone of their sins as sin itself as an entire scourge in society is dealt with through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so those who are socially marginalized because of supposed sin in their lives in that culture find that very judgment by society being dealt with by Jesus. And he takes care of it for this one and gives him a place. Now what's beautiful for us is that the healing, just as it is with him for us, can be far broader than just the forgiveness of our sins. And so for example, the one who is self-absorbed, the one who is self-centered, can begin in Jesus to start serving others and to think of others as more important than him or herself. And when that happens, healing has taken place. And when someone caught up in a life of addictions is set free from those addictions, healing has taken place. And when one who is governed by materialism, as so many of us are, suddenly realizes that we can have the joy of simplicity and charity, healing takes place. And when one who is bitter and unforgiving and finds release in forgiving another one, healing takes place. And when one who, like the Pharisees, is controlled by a spirit of self-righteousness, becomes humble and lowly and meek, healing takes place. And so church, there are many ways in which we have the privilege and blessing of being part of the healings of Jesus. It is so wonderful to feel like we're offering some kind of healing to the guys and ladies who come on Wednesdays for lunch. It is a blessing. And when one of you walks in here that I haven't seen for a while, maybe I haven't seen you for months And all of a sudden you come in here and now you're happy to be here and you got a smile on your face and you act like it feels so good to be back in church. When that happens, I'm feeling like there's a healing taking place. And that's what Jesus does. He makes us feel that way. As though he's healing something in our lives that needs to be healed and that only he can heal. You know, the the disciples looked at a blind man and they were just going to pass by. Lord, what what happened with this guy? Was it him or or his parents? And they're ready to move on. You know how we say hi to people and then we don't really listen? We just, hi, how you doing? And then we're gone. I do that to people. (laughs) Forgive me. That's what they were doing. 
What about this blind man? They're moving on. And Jesus then stops and actually heals the guy of his blindness. We need to stop. We need to allow the tragedies to be taken care of because our Lord is one who takes care of them. There is someone in here right now who has a hurting person who sits across the office from you. What are you going to do about that this week? Will you continue to maintain your silence? Or will you take opportunity to say something of the healing words of Christ? There is a a spiritually blind person who lives somewhere down the street from you. Will you take an opportunity this week to say some good word about the healing power of Jesus to this person who so badly needs him? You have a friend who needs the healing power of Christ to lift them out of their sinfulness. Will it be you who takes the opportunity to say, let me offer to you a word of healing? Who can you take out to dinner this week who needs to be taken out? Whose kids can you watch because they need a break? For whom can you fix a meal? Whose house might you clean as an act of service this week? All as a part of the effort to heal them in Jesus. For whom will you pray? With whom will you share your story this week of the healing power of Christ and the healing that you yourself received from Jesus? You know, one of the things that's happened in our church in the last little while is that we've had lots of immigrants who've come our way. When I say the last little while, I mean like 10, 15 years. There are lots of immigrant people in Calgary now. Some of you are from other countries besides Canada. You just keep moving here. We're so glad to be part of that. We're so blessed to have you here. And here's one thing I want to say to you. Sometimes I think that the hope for our church to be as evangelistic as it could be resides with you. Even more so than it resides with those of us who've been here for a long time. There are in our community more people all the time who are coming from other countries to live in this part of our world, this part of our city. And if that's the case, you can have a huge impact on those people in reaching them for Jesus. And this is just the environment and the climate in which to do it. And so I'm excited that we have a group of Spanish-speaking people who say, hey, let's get together. And not just talk Spanish, but to talk in Spanish about Jesus. And I guarantee you that all of you who do so, you've got friends in our community who speak Spanish, and you can invite them to be part of things here and to enjoy the blessing of being part of a healing fellowship. And of course, it's not just for the Spanish-speaking people, but it's for the Filipinos as well. It's for those of you who are from Africa. And it certainly is for those of us who are from Canada or the United States. God wants us to reach into our communities with the healing power of Christ. And I hope that you do. And so Jonathan mentioned, did you mention it in this service, the outreach activity? Take advantage of the outreach opportunity. Look in the bulletins. The instructions are on the inside left-hand Uh, portion of the page there. Find a group. Do it with your life group. Reach out in some way into the community. And God is going to bless us as we do. We have opportunities 
constantly to take advantage of the healing power of Jesus extended to the lives around us. The man who was born blind is a perfect example of that. I can't wait to hear the stories of the new examples that we're going to find where Jesus came and did something healing among us. Let's pray. Lord, you have blessed us with a a rich privilege and opportunity. An opportunity to have an impact in our world for you. It's pretty easy for us to see that Jesus wants to see people's lives healed, changed, transformed through his presence. Help us be spokespersons for you and to reach into our community with the good news of the healing power of Christ. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.